Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Prakash Amarasuria. Prakash is the 20-something-year-old who led the charge to revamp the Grade 10 Career Studies course in Ontario to incorporate financial literacy. Prakash and his colleagues at the Toronto Youth Council launched an online petition in the fall of 2016 that got picked up by the mainstream media. Prakash met with the then Minister of Education, Mitzi Hunter, and soon after, plans were made to roll out a pilot project at 28 high schools laying the groundwork for financial literacy to become part of the curriculum. In my interview with Prakash, we discuss why financial literacy is so important to him, how he managed to succeed where so many others had failed by getting financial literacy included in the education system in Ontario, and how he would like to see financial literacy further integrated into our school system. Without further ado, here's my interview with Prakash. Hi Prakash, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sean. How are you doing? Pretty good, thanks. It's so wonderful to have you on the show. Uh, I've been trying to connect with you for a while uh, to do an interview for my website, so it's wonderful to have you as one of the first guests on my podcast. No, I think I'm honored and pleasure to be here. Great, so let's get started. You are a man with a humble beginning. Can you tell us a bit about your upbringing and why financial literacy is so important to you? For sure. Um, so it started when I was in high school, um, when my parents um, lost their jobs in the 2008 financial crisis. I was actually in grade 10. And when that happened, I think it was my first real shock at learning about how much I don't know about money and how the world works around me. And um, being so young, I think it vitally impacted how I perceived the world. And in kind of a reaction to that, I started asking myself questions I never had to before, such as, okay, um, what do I do if I want to own a house one day? What do I do so the situation doesn't happen again? Uh, and that's why I think it's, it piqued my interest. Um, it wasn't until after university that I did something actively about it, but it was in, when I was 15 years old where it became, I think, something very important to me. That's quite inspiring. I mean, for me, when my parents split up, like that's kind of when um, like financial literacy became important to me and I started reading books, uh, like personal finance books. So I can totally relate to that. So that, that was definitely a great answer. Uh, so some people have called me crazy for working four jobs when I was in university, but you went a step further and worked five jobs. Way to upstage me. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us about how you managed to do that and what it taught you. I guess alluding to what I said earlier about kind of reacting heavily to the situation. It wasn't like I went out and planned to get those five part-time jobs. It was more like I need, I knew I needed to gather income to kind of save up for my education and plan for my future. 
uh, while also kind of sustaining for the time that I had now. So I started with applying to a job fair for No Frills, went to that. Then I got a job at the Taekwondo studio that I was working at, which led to the three other jobs later down the line. And the reason why I chose those five jobs instead of doing one full-time job is because they were working around my schedule and it allowed me to do school, my extracurriculars, as well as these jobs to make sure that I had um, a full schedule and not feel like I had to compromise one or the other. Uh, that being said, uh, talking about work ethic and time management, I think it's uh, it was one of the toughest periods of my life. I How I stay on track is I kept actual Excel document of when my classes were, every single extracurricular time after school and then I planned my work hours around that and it was a consistent schedule that I followed for like around two two years while three years while I was in high school and uh, I followed it religiously but if I'm being honest it wasn't also the best uh, situation I slept very very minimally and ate maybe like one or two meals a day and it, it was uh, it was tough but uh, I feel like anyone in that situation would have done what they had to do in order to get to um, being a, living a sustainable life. But uh, I, I don't wish that on anyone, and I hope people out there don't have to go through that either. But totally. It's great that you could grind that out. And I'm just curious, did you learn any financial lessons from that time period? Yeah. Um, to be honest, I know a lot of people, when I talk about financial literacy, you mentioned that saving is a drag. But um, because I had to do it involuntarily, I kind of found it actually quite fun um, to see kind of money in a bank account. And especially when you're 15, when you didn't go from $0 uh, an hour to like the minimum wage at the time. And also kind of seeing the money in my bank account grow. Uh, because I knew I was saving up for university, I loved seeing that my money would grow without um, kind of seeing it drop. And I actually got to the point where saving became a hobby for me because the mentality was, oh, you know what? I can see this number grow higher. It was kind of like a video game level score. And it's like, you see this thing go higher and it feels like you're doing great. Anytime you had to do expenses, it felt like, oh, I lost that challenge a bit. So it, it saving to me became actually a fun thing to do because it allowed me to have options. It felt like I was in control of my situation, which I felt like I lost when my parents lost their jobs. But one thing I would have liked to have learned I didn't know back then was about how to invest and how to not just let money work and not just trade my time for money, but how do I actually make it grow exponentially or how do I make my money work for me? That's a great answer. And yeah, I saw it the same way. Paying down my mortgage became addicting. So I totally get where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. So, so great. So uh, for years, people have been trying to get financial literacy included in the education system in Ontario to no avail, but you were able to make it happen in a relatively short time span. Can you tell us how you were able to see success in this time? Yeah, and um, you put it very nicely. Um, when I started doing this campaign, I it wasn't something that I tried to do actively. It was more, I think, a reaction to seeing what I saw. And so to put things in context, after I graduated from university, I started working at the bank. Um, and while working at the bank, I wanted to join the Toronto Youth Cabinet with a focus on education. And while working at the bank, I would notice that people would come into the bank not knowing how to manage the finances. And what I noticed even more was that the children that uh, accompanied these uh, individuals would see these habits and living off of overdraft was one example. And he would see these habits and notice that, you know what, maybe this is normal to be in debt. And I I knew that would be they'd be worse off than 
their than the previous generation because it normalized them that they they had to be living in debt and kind of always having money coming out of their account and going in and so that's when i said that we need to teach, teach them while they're young in order to kind of break the cycle so i combined these two interests and we set the government with a proposal that i'd work with the toronto youth cabinet for around I would say from January to August, I think around eight months, we'd actually worked on this before we took it uh, to the public. We actually reached out to them and the government advisors said no to our proposal, which is to be expected because of the fact that um, governments usually resistant to change. And I understood that point, but I felt that this was... um, this is a topic that was heavily needed and our suggestion was to put it into the grade 10 careers course, which we felt was a mandatory course. And we weren't suggesting a new course entirely. We were asking them to amend something that, to be quite frank, needed the amendment. Uh, it's a course that people have said that needed uh, a revolutionary change and we felt that we can do it by putting a useful topic into, a, again, quite frankly, a useless course. So once we had done that, we, we heard the no, and to be honest, that was kind of discouraging, but we said, you know what, how do we look at this as um, an opportunity? And I thought, well, if we go public with this, which we know teachers, parents, students, and everyone uh, of the like would find this to be a reasonable cause, we thought we'd get their support and push the momentum towards our side, which we felt this pretty much how government changes is to the will of the people. So this, that's when we decided to approach the media. and. Our strategy was to publish the petition on Thanksgiving. This is actually Tom Gleason's idea from the Toronto Youth Cabinet, uh, the executive director at the time. And the rationale was, if we publish it on Thanksgiving, nothing interesting is happening on Thanksgiving. So if we can get people to sign up for this petition, when we do the press release the day after, we'd hopefully get more attention, especially because we positioned it from the voices of youth um, in Toronto. And because it was an Ontario position, we wanted to make sure that we pushed outside of just Toronto. And so we did that, got a lot of media attention in those three weeks. And we noticed that the government had to change the response from, oh, we think we're doing fine to, okay, we'll think about it to, okay, we'll meet with them. And then in three weeks, I met with the education minister at the time, Mitzi Hunter. And I think I have approached her was, we didn't want to be on opposite sides of an issue. We actually want to work with them uh, to build this kind of professional relationship where we can um, advise them on what we think youth would like. And uh, they can see themselves as working with you t- into making this change. And you asked why we may have been more successful than other people before us is because we were presenting this as something that the youth wanted. This is something that people were imposing that people or students want to learn while in school. We were saying it while being those individuals. So I think it was a unique voice that needed to be heard. That's a remarkable story. Thanks so much for sharing with our listeners. Um, so tying into that question, overnight you became the poster child for financial literacy. Can you share with us a bit about the experience in the media limelight? And do you have any uh, funny behind the scenes stories to share? Being quite frank, I when we started this petition, I noticed that being doing the youth voices while incredible wasn't apparently enough. And it wasn't until I shared my personal story that I shared with you at the beginning of this uh, that I think some of the people in the media started taking a bit more seriously. And it's unfortunate, but that's, I guess, how the game is played. So. That being said, I'm not a I'm not a very media savvy individual. Uh, case in point was when my first interview with uh, City it was City TV. We were filming down West Road, and it, they were doing a tracking shot of us walking down. And while walking down the street and pretending to talk and t- talking to Roger Peterson while we was on camera, I actually tripped. And uh, when I tripped, um, it was at the end of the shot, so we had to do another shot walking back the other way. And so. 
if you look at that video, you know, people noticed, especially the people who are like close friends and people who live on that uh, street would notice that we did a tracking shot going one way and one going back. And so once it got published, people were questioning why we just didn't go down a different avenue. And I had to explain that uh, I tripped <laughs> halfway through. And, um, <laughs> and especially in that interview too, my water tank broke at home. So I came to work kind of all disheveled, didn't shave my beard. And so when I got the call that they wanted to film that, that very hour, I was like, great. And so it was bad enough trip, but also looked like I hadn't shaved a bit. Uh, it wasn't the best for his impression I could have gave the media, but it uh, looks like everything all worked out. Yeah, I mean, you're, you got your message out, so that's all that matters at the end of the day. So. I, I really hope so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So the Ontario government launched a pilot project across the province to help enhance the career studies course taught in high school. Can you tell us about the newly re- revamped careers course and what it covers in terms of financial literacy? For sure. So um, when we initially suggested financial literacy being a part of the grade 10 careers course, the ministry decided to take it further and revamp more than just that module, but doing the entire course. So they've actually proposed doing um, what's called a module system, and they would introduce, I believe, uh, three to four topics within the careers course and they happen to be financial literacy uh digital literacy innovation creative and creativity and entrepreneurship and career pathway planning so these three to four modules they want to do i guess to the entire course and the logic behind this was instead of doing a revamp of the course every three years doing a modular based system means that they can take out that module revamp it and put it back within a year's time which is i think a great tactic to make the government move quicker on topics such as education. And I think they had in 2017 done a, a pilot of this program within 27, 28 schools, and they had received feedback from teachers and students on how that would go. And in September of this year, 2018, uh, it'll be launched across the province, um, all across the province. No, that that's great. Um, and do you have any uh, further details about how the course is going to uh, look across the province? Like, can you give us the inside inside scoop on that? Well, to be quite frank, when I finished getting the petition through, I felt that that was kind of the the end of my communication with the government. It was be, uh, because I know that they have experienced curriculum directors who would probably. Uh, do a lot of better job of developing it than I would. And I didn't feel like it was my place, especially not having uh, kind of the background in education as uh, other individuals would have. Uh, that being said, I've been with consulting with the government every few months just to check up on how things are going and kind of provide my own feedback from things I've seen. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been kind of surreal to kind of still be involved and provide my feedback and try to show them that there's more to financial literacy than just um, teaching them the right concepts. One thing that I found very important was uh, teachers needed to feel confident and competent about what they were doing in financial literacy. If they felt that they didn't feel kind of adequate enough to deliver this topic, then the students wouldn't feel the same way. And so financial literacy is a topic that everyone needs, but not everyone knows. And that's why when I meet with the government, we have to make sure there's proper teacher support to make sure they feel that they are given the best chance to teach these students this important topic. And in terms of the course material itself, I don't feel I have the best lens on that. The reason why is because it was developed for the teachers and students. And so they have, I think, the ones that went through the pilot module, they have better insight than I do on that, which is, I think, better because I wouldn't want people of Ontario to think that a private citizen had kind of access to that. 
but uh, the people that should be receiving the education uh, were delivered the pilot, and I will see how it rolls out in September 2018. One thing I will note is that with the recent election that just passed, uh, with the conservative majority uh, taking place in actually a few days, I'm not sure how that'll affect this rollout of this course. And so my intention is actually to reach out to the government in a few weeks once they've hopefully chosen the new uh, education minister to see how things roll out. The good news is when it comes to financial literacy, it's something that it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're a part of, it's something that I think everyone finds is an important topic. And it was something I was gonna reach out to the opposition party at the time, had it not gone through the government that we worked with. I was gonna go through a private member's bill if it didn't work through, but uh, thankfully we didn't have to resort to that. Well, that's great. I mean, I, I don't see, you know, I, I, I don't know what the current government is thinking, but I can't really see a reason not to go ahead with it. So fingers crossed, everything goes ahead as planned. Yes, fingers crossed. Great. So integrating financial literacy in the careers course is a good first step, but it could still be further integrated into our education system. How would you like to see financial literacy taught to the next generation of young Canadians? No, that's a great question. I think um, when we started doing it, ideally, I think we all wanted to be a separate course in its own, of course, taught over multiple grades. I think that's the kind of the ideal state. When we reached out to the government, they mentioned that they had already taught it from grade 12, four, grades 4 to 12, but it's been kind of seem, seemed into the, uh, all the courses. Uh, my issue with that is when it's kind of blended into all these courses, no teachers and individuals feel like they're part of teaching it, and especially if they're not trained on it, they're not going to take the advantage to teach students within their respective courses, whether it be English, math, or science about financial literacy. So we needed to be explicit, and that's why the careers course was suggested. That being said, ideally one day, if we had our own financial literacy course, I think that would be great. Um, and I think a lot of us would want it to be taught while they're younger as well, too, developing that sense of good habits and just getting into the flow of it would be ideal um, over, I guess, across multiple grades. The other thing to note is it is also difficult to talk about something when when you don't really have a, like a tangible connection to it. So what I mean by that is when you're working, when you're working, you understand the concept of money, you understand um, how to budget, you understand moving away 10% of your paycheck. But if you're not working, and most people, uh, grades 10 below aren't, if, if you're not working, telling them, oh, you know what, you need to make more than $14 an hour, you need to make this much money to meet the lifestyle that you want. For them, it doesn't mean much. And so it's it's a bit tough to talk about it. So when I do financial literacy presentations, I always have to talk about more the mentality and the concept and the, the idea of discipline more than I do the actual financial literacy concepts. The, the idea of a mortgage may not relate to people while they're in high school, which is unfortunate, but some people like to be interested. I think you and I would have been interested in that topic, but we can't say that for everyone. So it's, I think the challenge is how do we find uh, a way to make this topic that we know is going to be important for them in the future, um, in, like enough for them to, important enough for them to learn it while in school. I don't know. Maybe we can suggest that they plan their mortgage burning party one day. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. When they're, when they're already going to be partying in university, doing another party on top of the full mortgage planning may not be the trigger that they need. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So you are the recipient of two prestigious awards. Can you tell us about the honors and what they mean to you personally? Yeah. So one was the um, Volunteer Toronto Award and the other one was the Canada Volunteer Award. And um, in doing all this work that I do with the government and with the Toronto Youth Cabinet, it's kind of cool to know that there was all volunteer work. I think it was just more because 
while I do work in a bank, I never wanted to give people the idea that this was something that came from kind of a, we didn't want there to be any corporate influence into this. That's why I always make sure to represent just the Toronto Youth Academy while doing this work. And so all the work I'd done with it was outside of my work time. It was also done without consulting anyone other than the, the Toronto Youth Cabinet and the financial literacy partners we worked with across Canada. Both those awards, I actually was honored to be nominated by Tom Gleason from the uh, the executive director I mentioned earlier for the Toronto Youth Cabinet, um, for the Toronto Volunteer Toronto Award, and by Junior Achievement for the Canada Volunteer Award. And so when we did the financial literacy petition, we actually asked quite a few financial literacy partners across Canada, as well as school board trustees to kind of support the petition. And that community engagement was great to work with. And uh, in receiving these awards, it was a great way to connect with other people that are doing great work, whether it be in financial literacy or outside of it, all across Toronto and Canada. And yeah, it was, uh, it was an honor to receive it. And I think it just values that volunteering is something that's still, if not so, more important than it was before. And I think people who are always looking at a way to make a difference, volunteering is actually the best place to start because when you're paid to do something, I feel you're, there's a bit more of limitations. But if you're volunteering to do it, I think the sky's the limit. So I think, yeah, it uh, these awards help validate that mentality. And I hope people can take that to heart. Well, that's a great way to put it. Just was wondering on the topic of real estate, do you think it's realistic for millennials to aspire to buy a house these days with the high cost of real estate in cities like Toronto and Vancouver? What advice would you give to younger people looking to save a down payment? Because it definitely can be daunting. Yeah, no. I, and um, do I think it's realistic? That's a tough question. Like for me, do I think it's possible? Yes. And for me, whenever there's a slight possibility of doing something, uh, always go for it. I always try to think as much as statistics are important in trying to say like, oh, I don't know what the number is, but however many percent of uh, millennials can get can get a home, not everyone's going to get a home. Maybe not everyone wants a home, but if it's something you truly want to do, then there should be nothing to stop you from getting it. I know yourself and other individuals who have made it happen and that means it's possible. And so if there's a way, um, there just needs to be a will. And in terms of advice to looking to save for a down payment, I think the main thing is always starting early. Uh, you can never start early enough. And the earlier you start, we, you and I probably know the values of compound interest. The earlier you start, just the better it is. And if you start saving money now, especially if you're younger than I am, you'll always make more money than I do based off the interest of, based off compound interest and, and the value of time. And so I think the main thing is setting a goal. You need to know what that goal is. And if your goal is to buy a house today, I'd probably say uh, project ahead because you know with inflation that those costs are going to rise even if the market doesn't. So whatever your goal is, kind of go beyond it and try to save as much as you can earlier on. And I think the other thing too is working. Like you can either make a lot of money by working hard a lot and saving up the money, or you can find ways to progressively move up in your career to get higher income, which again is both are hard options to do. But uh, again, is it possible? Yes. Is it realistic? Maybe not for everyone. But that being said, I think it's a matter of what do you want to do with your life? Some people want to buy a house. Some people want to rent. Some people, based off the community, doesn't make sense to. So I think it's asking yourself, what do you need and what do you want out of life? And making sure that you can make the money uh, required to take care of your needs and anything else you want. I think uh, making sure you have a budget left over to take care of that as well.
Yeah, totally. And, you know, it doesn't make sense for everyone to buy property right now, but, you know, maybe in a couple of years, it might make more financial sense for you. So, yeah, you know, always reevaluate your financial situation and, you know, uh, I guess set yourself a goal, like you said. So, yeah, no, I agree. I think it's, um, uh, I think you bring up a good point. I think it's about looking at what's like your external factors as well, too. It's not just about, I want to buy a house now. It's about, does it make sense? Like, I think using logic, and understanding that kind of like a buying a house is like a business move. And so if you consider yourself a business, which most people should, um, does it make sense for your business to make this purchase right now? If it does, go for it. If it doesn't, then patience is your best virtue. That's a great way to put it. So can you tell us where you are in your career right now and how you plan to continue to be involved in financial literacy and shape it for the years to come? Yeah, for sure. Um, so working at the bank, the financial literacy work kind of helped, I think, give me a bit more exposure to actually start working in corporate uh, in TD. And so I'm actually in this uh, great program uh, called the Management Associate Program, which is a two-year rotational program where every six months I get to go into a different department, learn about the business and provide value. And this is actually my last week at my first rotation in personal lending where we talk about things such as student lines of credit and other lines of credit. And we want to kind of say, oh, you know what? It's kind of unique to be working financial literacy when actually I have a background in health. Um, I have a, um, a degree in kinesiology as well as a minor in psychology. And one thing that was relevant to both the field of health as well as financial literacy is that uh, both of those are correlated. If you want to have higher health, having a higher financial status is actually one of the top factors of, I think, having long-term long-term health. So I think finding ways out of your socioeconomic status has a lot of implications. And so while I'm not working on health right now, it's kind of something that I keep in mind while I do work at the bank. So it's, again, uh, it's a great two-year program, which allows me to get exposure to different uh, side of business that I never had exposure to. And um, on my off time, I actually do financial literacy presentations either through junior achievement or through the Canadian Bankers Association. But I also do individual financial literacy presentations on my own uh, based off of quests that I get from teachers through my email. But yeah, uh, in terms of what the future has to hold, it's been crazy up to this point. I never thought that my life would have gone in this direction, but seeing in hindsight how it has, I wouldn't change a thing. And I'm, I'm excited for what's to come. I always believe that it's, this is kind of going off topic, but what I think about is we live life in different timelines. I feel like there's multiple timelines out there where you would have gone down different paths of life. And my goal is to live the best timeline that I am in right now. So if there's a life where I would have done something crazier, my goal is to be even crazier than that in the time line that I'm currently in. So that's kind of how I drive my life. And let's see where that takes me. Wow, that's a great answer. So it's been wonderful having you on the show. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, for those who are interested in financial literacy, um, it's if you're in high school, if you're um, a student in high school or uh, you want to learn about financial literacy, Junior Team is a great organization. They have things called a company program where you can start a company while in high school. And they also have economic for success days where people can come out to kind of give you a one-day uh, workshop on financial literacy. So teachers, if you're listening to this podcast, feel free to reach out to Junior Achievement and see how they can help support you. And in my straight time, like I mentioned, I do financial liter literacy presentations on my own. So if people are interested, they can always reach out to me individually on my, any of my various social media platforms and we can take it from there and see if that works. 
Great. And we'll make sure that we include your contact information in the show notes. So thanks so much for being on the show today, Prakash. Now, um, the honor was all mine. Thank you so much, uh, Sean. And I, I look forward to seeing how your podcast develops. And thank you for, again, having me on. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host and money coach, I'm also a licensed mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. You can reach me by email at seancooperwriter at gmail.com or you can call or text me at 647-867-3711. Also, be sure to head on over to www.seancooperwriter.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. You can also sign up for a free one-on-one 15-minute money coaching consultation with yours truly. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you burn your mortgage sooner too. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.